salutations, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the second episode of Out of the Tower. I am your host, Peter O'Mara, and today I just want to uh, really follow up on a couple of the ideas that I was discussing in the previous episode uh, with my uh, trip to a South by Southwest 2019 and the uh, growing expression of a desire for humanities to be incorporated more um, in various sectors and in various industries. And to that end, I want to uh, discuss in greater detail um, uh, feelings on the, shall we say, the gap. Uh, the uh, gap in the abstract and the gap in the uh, practical and how that really uh, tends to, uh, at least speaking from a personal experience and from what I've seen, uh, a lot of um, philosophy majors who are just uh, post-bachelor, that they're just uh, coming out of college. So uh, to that end, I wanted to uh, touch upon uh, two articles on the matter that I thought were uh, very interesting and I thought uh, could uh, provide a wonderful insight um, upon review into the matter. So uh, we're just going to uh, jump right in to it and to that end um so the first article was actually published uh, several years ago actually um in october of uh, 2014 so it was uh, quite some time ago um but i still felt uh, that this uh, added some very uh, poignant um insights into the matter and the article uh, was published in the week uh entitled uh, stop making fun of philosophy and read some philosophy um very well put, I think, actually, and, uh, by uh, Pascal Emmanuel Gobry. Um, so the article in particular uh, touches upon how um, we really seem to have neglected philosophy, how it um, we've sort of sidestepped it for um, more practical and more immediately rewarding uh, majors and paths, uh, especially in America, which is a, as he puts it, a culture that values uh, what does work, what doesn't work, and uh, what will put a dollar in my pocket, as a heap uh, particularly puts it. Um, and he he goes on to talk a great deal about where is the value in philosophy and how that um, zooms out, if you will, and that's a point that I'm going to get to very quickly here, um, and shows how philosophy then connects to the more grounded parts, the more uh, pragmatism of the world that we're usually uh, so obsessed with that we want to um, touch upon ourselves in order to have a, a good and successful career and life. Uh, nevertheless, um, he does nevertheless emphasize the need for philosophy uh, in order to make these uh, practical matters uh, stronger, make them um, um, more informed, if you will, for lack of a better way of putting it. And he even caps off the article uh, by comparing uh, our situation to a particular episode of Star Trek in which uh, we have become um, so um, relaxed and our lives are so quote-unquote charmed that um, when our computer that uh, rules our society breaks, um, we're powerless how to repair it, and we have to call the Enterprise for Technology. So, and to that, and he really does a call for the um, greater need, the greater, uh, more widespread study of philosophy across the board, so that all sectors and industries across the board can be better informed and can gain the insights provided by philosophy. And philosophy students and, and professionals no longer have to feel isolated in the world. And in particular. There were a few items I wanted to touch upon here. So interestingly, uh, after uh, paragraph five, he does, as I mentioned, he does touches upon the abstract point of how society is built upon institutions and structures. And in particular, he uh, mentioned, and I quote, um, and at the level of our society, there is a dramatic pragmatic stake in philosophy. We live in enormously complex, technologically advanced societies where we have the power to do a great deal of harm and a great deal of good. Our societies are built upon 
on complex institutions such as democracy, the free market, and science, which are in turn premised on ways of looking at the world and on ideas about the world and humanity. In other words, philosophy. So I think he touches upon that very particular point of the abstract and the uh, pragmatic, um, which is to say, a, uh, when we pull things back in abstraction just a bit, we do see where, um, as I mentioned in the previous episode, all the non-quantifiable, almost ethereal, um, yet essential building blocks there are. And while there is an unconscious acknowledgement of this, I think you know a lot of people um, across many different sectors of all walks uh, would um, acknowledge this. Um, the implications of such are often lost in the pragmatist, and we accept that civilization and government and politics and economics and morality, um, especially at, at a, a civic level, if you will, is built upon a philosophy. But often that, that point does get lost in the day-to-day -day pragmatism. And therein we can start to view the gap when we uh, zoom in a little bit. Um, and how that is really going, how, how it does affect a lot of uh, students, uh, particularly uh, bachelor's uh, students um, right out of college who are looking to apply these very abstract, these almost ethereal, um, yet essential uh, skills, but are finding difficulty in implementing them in the pragmatism. And what I thought was particularly striking about this article, he mentions in paragraph eight, and I very, very much admired the way he phrased this. Uh, he says, and quote, there is a la the lazy prejudice of materialism, the notion that matter is the only thing that exists. Um, and he points out further that um, the philosopher and theologian David Bentley Hart uh, says that who said that materialism would be a perfectly consistent position if the universe uh, did not exist. Uh, but since it does seem impossible for something to come from nothing, and therefore it seems impossible that matter is the only thing that seems to exist. And as to that, um, I do think the article and the authors strike upon that that sort of the when we have that unconscious acknowledgement of philosophy's place, but we're not really trying to see it implemented at a more pragmatic uh, brass tax level, there is sort of a place where that lazy materialism uh, can seep in, uh, where we're judging things purely by uh, how quantifiable they are and how um, uh, how things can essentially be measured. And of course, I, I would very much like to hedge my statement in saying that I, I don't think that should be resented at all. I think in order to run any organization at any echelon or niche of society and civilization, you do need to have a quant a quantifiable um, metrics and statistics. At the same time, though, we still need to be able to, at least at this current juncture, observe um, that gap when we zoom in just enough to see the pragmatism and zoom out just enough to see the uh, uh, the abstraction um, at play and see where the lazy materialism, as he puts it, uh, does uh, seep in. Now, um, uh, lastly, in just a closing remarks for this particular uh, article, um, just in reference to the previous episode, uh, we do, as I mentioned just now, we do acknowledge that civilization is built upon philosophical ideas and that critical thinking is essential. These are things that philosophy furnishes. Um, at the same time, um, as mentioned, uh, there is that distinct gap. Um, it is one that in theory should not exist, and I would like to just uh, reiterate my uh, point just now, um, hopefully phrase it a bit more clearly. It is one that in theory should not exist uh, due, due, due to our aforesaid acknowledgement of um, philosophy's place in civilization and, and society. 
Um, however, it is created when we do start to deal with those practical matters. And if we can recognize it and better understand how it manifests on a more practical and pragmatic level, we have at least taken steps to solve the matters of empathy if, for the time being at this current juncture, pragmatism is ultimately out of the question. Again, I don't think anyone should resent the need for um, that which is more quantifiable and that which can more, um, more immediately provide benefit to a particular organization or sector. Of course not. But there still needs to be that effort if we're going to touch upon that, uh, that lack of a roadmap, as mentioned in the previous episode, that desire to unify uh, philosophy with the sciences and other sectors of uh, civilization um so yes i do very much want to hedge the saying that this could by i want to hedge any implications that this can be easily fixed uh but that given the many factors uh, at play in a given situation uh one in which the abstraction of philosophy plays an important role if seemingly insufficient it is difficult to make any declaration about solving practical matters. However, that does not necessarily mean it cannot be done. And in the future, I do want to um, explore uh, various possibilities and specific roadmaps about how we can uh, better implement those roadmaps and, um, and, and strategies as we touched upon in the previous episode. So going forward then, I would like to touch on another, uh, hopefully a little bit more of a uh, topical um, article uh, that I did mention to come across. This is from the uh, Daily Northwestern, which is a, a newspaper uh, for uh, Northwestern University, um, close to my hometown, as a matter of fact, um, entitled, uh, As in 2008, Humanities Majors Are a Potential Casualty of the Imminent Recession. Uh, this was actually published earlier this week on Tuesday, as a matter of fact, um, by Bina Shatsky, a reporter. And essentially, the article uh, speaks a great deal about um, how students are facing pressure uh, who are more humanities oriented to uh, get, find something that is more that is more practical, especially when, uh, as many remember in 2008, when we had the uh, financial crisis, um, many uh, humanities majors and uh, areas felt a great deal of uh, pressure from it. Um, and similar to how we are currently in the COVID-19 pandemic right now, there, are, uh, there appears to be um, increasing pressure just as before over a decade ago to find something that is going to be more financially viable in the more, um, not simply the long run, but uh, in the immediate. Um, however, it does offer a surprising glimmer of hope as to how they show a one particular case study in which a um, graduate, one particular major, uh, she had an, uh, for Weinberg year of uh, year of ten and Kellogg year fifteen. Um, she had told her parents that she had declared a philosophy major, but what had been told to uh, pick something more useful. And uh, in addition, and um, she uh, eventually added a, a philosophy major to her initial economics major, and. Um, when the recession hit during her uh, junior year, she say, stated that she was incredibly thankful that um, she had the combination because it allowed her to stand out and the economics uh, major provided a more marketable skills as she was searching for a job in the wake of the Great Recession. Um, so as to that, um, I wanted to mention that, yes, philosophy is paired with other majors, and this is certainly a good strategy. I myself have definitely uh, learned, that, learned that, and I would absolutely encourage um, as a um, uh, sort of a, uh, again, to hedge myself. Uh, with roadmaps going forward, I do think there needs to be a greater way of incorporating uh, different majors uh, into philosophy and vice versa. I would argue that uh, that presents um, 
other challenges in and of itself uh, for philosophy's inherent value. But, of course, that is a discussion for another time. I do indeed uh, digress. Furthermore, uh, of course, one does not does if one does combine it with another major, one must seriously uh, consider how philosophy will affect it, um, as the form is a constant process. Of uh, if it, it is, if you'll allow me to uh, speak uh, from personal experience, it's a bit of a, if you will. A, day, a daily quest. I do find that philosophy and something that um, those who do have any experience with philosophy, whether you're a professional, a professor, or a, um, a, a student currently, um, if you're really dedicating yourself to it, you will find that there is a, there is a, um, an inherent desire to sort of uh, think about it uh, to a certain extent each and every day, even if you're not able to commit a ton of energy and a ton of time to it. But there still is this feeling that it has to be daily. But then you have to ask yourself, well, in what way is that um, quantifiable? And 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 you know that it's actually producing results for you. It's actually doing you a great deal of good. But there's a great, also a great deal of frustration as to how you're going to properly uh, express that, how you're going to uh, show it. And it could, in fact, do a great deal um, since it's a form, since it's a constant process to close the gap that I've been uh, we've been discussing, um, at least in the context of a single individual. Um, unfortunately, that is in and of itself a. A, uh, that is in, that is contingent on the person actually doing so, and the multiple issues that the pragmatism uh, often presents can make it difficult, and that can come down to matters as, just as simply as making a living, um, um, as in the case of uh, this one particular major, um, as mentioned. And it seems that she, um, I of course, I don't want to make, say anything set in stone, but from what I've read, she seems to have uh, been uh, in a good situation ultimately, combining both philosophy and economics. And I personally don't know to what extent she would be incorporating a philosophy into economics at that extent. The, the frustration is that, in theory, if you have someone who is very passionate and or or more specifically, I should say, very devoted to uh, keeping in touch with philosophy and utilizing it on an individual level, that can be great for informing the way that you conduct yourself in whatever profession you go into, especially when you are pairing it with another major. But again, not only can we only focus on a single individual at a time that's contingent on that person actually doing so making that effort and when and uh, again speaking from experience it is such a constant process a daily quest and that in of itself can't always feel quantifiable um, especially if um, you do struggle with a self-awareness and trying to keep yourself in check that in itself does pre present further challenges so it is great that we are seeing examples like this it is great that we are seeing case studies in which of uh, uh, um, philosophy is being paired with other majors, but we also need to go beyond a simple matters like that to see wh what is going on at the individual level. Um, you have to uh, be able to exhort, in, you have to be um, in a position where you can examine philosophy's um, minute influences, if you will. Uh, further down the line, uh, the, something that I also found uh, particularly um, interesting was uh, how it was mentioned by the uh, Northwestern Career Advancement Executive Director, uh, Mark Presnell, uh, who mentioned that, quote, employers are largely major agnostic, meaning that they rarely recruit by major. 
Uh, and further, he mentions, quote, it becomes a bit of a marketing exercise on the resume, on the cover letter, and through networking. To be able to talk about why you chose this particular major and how this particular major relates to this particular job or career industry. And he further mentions when recessionary periods uh, do rear their head, um, and it would seem that uh, the COVID-19 pandemic is uh, no exception, the ex expectations of many employers uh, move, and you have to more explicitly um, articulate um, how your background, how your major uh, matches, uh, regardless of what it is. Um, and I think especially when you have a major that has such a reputation as being unquantifiable and abstract as philosophy, that is going to present further challenges. So to all of those students uh, graduating and uh, studying philosophy during this time, um, of course, we're all going to get through this. We're all going to see uh, the light at the end of the tunnel. But if you are uh, looking to pair philosophy with another major, I absolutely say uh, Godspeed to you because um, I think this is a place where we do need, uh, this is a juncture, if you will, where we do need to think more about the prag pragmatism of it all, um, being able to be ready for those employers, regardless whether or not we're in a crisis, uh, who are going to be, uh, as the, as, uh, the article states, uh, major agnostic. So. Oh, even if you have something that has such a, a grounded um, reputation and set of skills, such as economics, for example, being if there is pressure even there, uh, to put it simply, to uh, explain how you're going to be a fit, even when it seems to be such a no-brainer, then I would definitely say doubly so for uh, philosophy students who are looking to apply those skills. Um, if you believe that another major is going to help you in that capacity, um, I definitely uh, encourage you to uh, go for it. Absolutely, 100% all the way. Um, and I would just uh, lastly add to that, um, if employers do expect uh, students to specify in great detail how their major connects to a role, uh, regardless of what it is during a crisis, I do worry that this might be a place where the gap can emerge a bit more. Um, as, as, as mentioned, as philosophy's roots in abstract qualities and skills uh, don't tend to stand out much as those that are immediately um, eye-catching or uh, ear-catching, if you will, um, when you read them, when you hear them uh, spoken to you in an interview or uh, read them on a resume. Um, because when you think of a, a skill like critical thinking, if you're a philosophy student, then you uh, know full well the kind of critical thinking that's really expected of you um, when you're trying to um, dissect even the smallest paragraph that you can pour over for hours and hours. And at the end of that, you emerge with a real skill there. But, of but when we say critical thinking, that uh, term doesn't always carry the same weight that we feel uh, in philosophy as it does with other employers and sectors when they hear the word critical thinking. So that is something to be very, very conscious of uh, moving forward um, uh, in the uh, post-bachelor years. Lastly, there was a uh, another individual um, uh, towards the end of the article uh, who uh, mentioned that she had been accepted into a Northwestern as a McCormick student and uh, transferred to Weinberg uh, during the fall semester of her freshman year, and then eventually switched again to the School of Education and Social Policy. She had considered uh, both a pre-medical track and, the, and an economics major, and further mentioned that as a low-income student, uh, she, quote, uh, felt pressure to enter a financially stable industry. Um, but she was miserable in general chemistry and found high-level economics courses to be too theory-based uh, to seem practical. And she further mentioned that when she uh, was in the SESP, um, which offered her programs uh, 
uh, like the junior year practicum, which was a, uh, quote, quarter-long off-campus internship and a concurrent seminar, uh, she said she had uh, found fulfillment and applicability that she felt was missing from her. And now, uh, as of the time of this article mentions that she wants to attend law school and pursue uh, immigration law. And she uh, lastly further mentions, uh, quote, in the past few months, I've realized that I will have a good paying job regardless, but I want to be happy and passionate in what I do, which I do think is a very, um, I think it's almost beautifully moot. I think that goes for saying with any uh, major that you do study. Um, Especially, especially philosophy majors who do want to be happy and passionate, but also are also facing that pressure of uh, the gap, the pragmatism created by um, the practical and the abstract. And in it, uh, and further, um, English professor Bill Savage, who uh, was this student's advisor, mentioned uh, he encouraged uh, his students to study what they love. And he said, quote, if you study what you love and are good at, you're going to be happy while you're at Northwestern instead of being miserable. I definitely think that goes without saying, but always great to reiterate. Um, and he particularly uh, pressed this point uh, while we're uh, during this time of uncertainty uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic as we were back during the uh, global financial crisis. So as a final closing remark, if you will, to that, um, what I would like to just uh, mention very briefly, um, uh, speaking from personal experience, while I would certainly uh, not want to suggest that finding your passion is easy, it, it can be a very elusive thing. And um, I will mention you often have to, as a strategy at least, you have to be able to speak uh, morbidly <laughs> about yourself um, uh, as a way of sort of measuring, I find, the way that uh, to determine whether or not you are passionate about something. Um, just as a bit of an aside, I, I, I've, I've, I frequently say to myself, you know, if you, if you can seriously unironically state to yourself, um, you know, I give my life to this. I, 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 I am in the service of such and such. On the surface, a lot, a lot of that does sound silly and it does sound a little ridiculous and very romantic and poetic. But um, um, so, so I certainly uh, wouldn't be mentioning that uh, to uh, friends and family um, if, if you don't believe they can understand the, uh, the, uh, the implications of that. Um, but as to yourself, you, you, it, it is a strategy, I find, that, is, um, that, that can be good, can be healthy, can be a, a generally reliable way of measuring where you, how you feel about something that you are considering you might be uh, passionate in. Uh, but I digress. Um, uh, so while I would certainly not want to suggest that finding your passion is easy, I can say that it provides a great deal of surprisingly practical benefit than one might imagine, at least in a more individual context. Um, whether you're in philosophy, science, business, whatever it is you choose to pursue, if there's something um, that you're passionate about, and uh, I'll just be using philosophy for this example, just due to its generally um, its general reputation as being um, unquantifiable is when you're in strenuous and painful times, uh, especially when you're trying to send out those resumes, when you're trying to um, uh, network and convince others that you have skills that they need, um, I do find that the more pragmatic side of that is, that rears its head, is it, it, it can function as an anchor to what you want to do. Uh, having an anchor to what you love doing can push you through that hardship to find the brass tacks. Um, and on one hand, I know that this really does go without saying, but I, I suppose um, another way of putting it 
is on the one hand, yes, we do very much want to pursue what we love, but we're often, uh, we face a lot of pushback as to how we're going to tackle that, how we're going to actually get to that place where our skills that we're, that we developed studying something that we're passionate about can actually be used. Um, in my personal experience, I have found that when you get to that position, you, and you start asking yourself the question of, you know, would you rather be doing anything else? And if I may be allowed to hearken back to that um, uh, earlier point about being able to speak morbidly about yourself, if you'll allow me to do so, um, you might find yourself asking, you know, you know, could you live with yourself if you ultimately tried to do something that was more practical. If It's times like that where if you are able to speak about yourself and what you're trying to pursue in a way that on the one hand sounds very idealistic, very romantic, very poetic, and you find that the answer tends to be no, because the, the the prospect for all for all the pain that you've been going through right now and trying to find that first job and trying to show others that you're capable, if you can at least ask yourself, well, no, I can't see myself doing anything else. You'll sudden, you'll you'll very quickly find that the practical matter of of keeping yourself tethered uh, to what you want to do um, in those in those points where, if I might give a bit more of a visual analogy, where you find yourself stretching out, you find yourself breaking point. You feel like sort of the uh, the bone, the muscle is gonna snap. You you find it, you know, the muscle and the bone, the muscle getting pulled back in because you have that um, idealistic um, perspective functioning on a more practical level. Um, and I do think it is very a important to be uh, conscious of that when you are facing that pain and that pressure because it is almost inevitable in this day and age that you will come across it and I would never want to sugarcoat it I would never want to make it seem like that is something that you can avoid um, but nevertheless there are ways of um, not simply coping with it but being able to overcome it so that is uh, just uh, some of the closing remarks that I did have on this article uh, now, before that, um, we, we close out today, and I will just mention very quickly um, one final article that I won't be going into a great deal of detail about, but was a recently a reference to me uh, in the New York Times that was published uh, earlier on a Tuesday, as a matter of fact, uh, entitled, uh, it's an opinion piece, uh, If We Had a Real Leader uh, Imagining COVID Under a Normal President, um, uh, written by opinion columnist uh, David Brooks. Now, of course, in these closing remarks, I'm not going to be getting into a lot of, I'm not going to be getting into politics or anything of that matter. But to, just to give a very brief overview, he talks about how we appear to have a, a president who does not uh, know how to empathize, who does not know how to rally the nation um, together under a more sympathetic banner and mindset that is uh, at least temporarily divorced from politics and how he ref and he references many other individuals in the past during uh, different hardships faced by the generations who were able to speak um, very um, uh, peacefully and humbly uh, separate from what their normal um, demeanor and general uh, mindset given their general political background was which I do think uh, is very admirable to a point out in terms of uh, making that comparison However, um, he does mention at the uh, very bottom, uh, the very last paragraph, as a matter of fact, he mentions, quote, right now, science and the humanities should be in lockstep. Science producing vaccines with the humanity stocking leaders and citizens with the capacities of resilience, care and collaboration until they come. But instead, the humanities are in crisis at the exact moment in history is revealing how vital moral formation really is.
And it's a beautiful way to uh, cap that off, and I think it's a great example of a, a further desire to have um, philosophy uh, and the humanities implemented across more sectors and in the sciences, of course. He says that very directly. Um, I will mention that in terms of uh, the closing of the gap, um, just since that's been a t- uh, bit of a topic for today, um, I will say it is a little bit more of along the lines of the examples that I saw at South by Southwest where there isn't a lot of brass text therein. And I shouldn't expect to, of course. I want to I make that very, very clear. It's only a paragraph um, of this, of this uh, very well put together piece, I find. Uh, at the same time, uh, this is a great example, a- almost a perfect example, I would say, of how we have that expression, how we do have that desire expressed at South by Southwest 2019, but now we need to start laying the roadmap, um, especially during this times of crisis when the humanities can prove to be invaluable in informing the sciences and uh, politics in particular. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that is uh, today's episode. Unfortunately, I am so sorry that this did not go as shortly as expected, but I do guarantee uh, that that's going to change in the future. In the meantime, I can tell you that the social media uh, will be up uh, this upcoming week. Uh, There will be a Twitter opening, so keep an eye out for that. And I right now have to retreat back into the tower, and I will see you when I emerge from it once again.